0: I would like to start with uh, this photograph showing the secession artists uh, in a very relaxed way, as you see, uh, in the secession building. You have now been acquainted with the building itself. Now we entered it. And Gustav Klimt is here, of course, the elected president. And he's sitting on a kind of throne wearing his painter's smock, which clearly distinguishes him from his fellow artists, all cl- clad quite conventionally. And by the way, Colomosa is sitting in front of him, so the two, two of the foremost artists are also represented in our exhibition. The strange object, which looks like a package by Christo, <laughs> probably is a painting or a sculpture ready to be unpacked and to be presented in the secession building. Christian has told you already that this was meant to be the showcase for modern art in Vienna. Well, we have seen this building in various um, variations before and I realized that uh, it has been digitally remastered kind of because the front is much too small small, uh, in fact, it is broader, and the photograph is not really uh, well presented here. Uh, uh, you know by now that um, Karl Wittgenstein was the person who had given the money to build it in within only six months. He was an entrepreneur and industrialist in the late uh, era of uh, the Habsburg Empire and the father of the philosopher uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein, of course. The building was to become the hallmark of the new style, termed Art Nouveau in France and Belgium, and Jugendstil in Austria, Germany, and Switzerland. It has large white walls. Some of the style uh, has been um, already been described to you, which is typical for the Viennese secession. Although the building reminded the critics of a temple from ancient times, and Christian has brought a few of the quotes, quotes which uh, it received. And you see above it the inscription uh, reading to time, it's art to art, it's freedom, which in climptifying this building of the NGV is also being used over the entrance to the show here. The architect was Josef Maria Olbrich, the most gifted pupil and collaborator of Otto Wagner, who is present in our exhibition through prints from our collection, among others. The most talked about detail of the secession building was the cupola, formed of 3,000 gilded laurel leaves, which inspired the Viennese to call it a heap of cabbage (laughs) in Viennese Krautappel alluding to Vienna's largest vegetable and food market just around the corner of this building. So this would be birthplace number one of Viennese modernism. It is really the building which houses the Vienna secession, this union of artists and houses many of the exhibitions among which was also the Beethoven show. And I think the Beethoven frieze in the exhibition here in Melbourne is one of the centerpieces which was also represented and on show in the building of the secession. Birthplace number two is, of course, the Wiener Werkstätte. In 1903, Hoffmann (coughs) and Kolomosa founded this company. You have also heard already a lot about its history to produce works of arts and crafts to the highest standard of Viennese modernism. This poster is characteristic of Hoffman's design, a very refined use of decorative rhythm, incorporating text, which uses a newly designed typography. Uh, Typography would be uh, also a story in its own right to focus on graphic designers of today, are very much intrigued. The students from our university are studying this typographic, uh, examples very closely and take a lot of inspiration from it nowadays. Strange enough, in most catalogs dealing with Viennese modernism, the premises of the Wiener Werkstätte, which ceased to exist 80 years ago, are never reproduced. And uh, I take the opportunity to show you the courtyard, which has not changed a lot since then. Today it's overgrown with leaves and the lofts in this building are nowadays used by designer companies and artists. So this would be the birthplace number two. And number three in the three birthplaces would be the School of Arts and Crafts, which is now the University of Applied Arts. And I have the privilege to be a professor there, and we have a small but very distinguished distinguished collection of which some examples are also here in this exhibition. It was only shortly after the Victoria and Albert Museum in London had been founded in 1852 that Vienna was the first city on the European continent to follow the British example. And in 1863, the Austrian Museum for Arts and Crafts was opened. Four years later, the Royal and Imperial School of Arts and Crafts was founded. Its newly erected building on the fashionable Ringstraße was completed in 1877, and you see the design by Verstel in this picture here. 25 years after its opening, the School of Arts and Crafts was to become the art school in Vienna, where modernism was taught by young exponents of the new style, among them, again, of course, Hoffmann and Moser. The young Gustav Klimt had been trained here, and Oskar Kokoschka was among the hundreds of male and female students who, over the years, received their diplomas from this school. Here, interestingly, girls were admitted as students from its very beginning, whereas it was only after World War I that the much more traditional Academy of Fine Arts in Vienna admitted female students. This very brief look towards three birthplaces of modernism in Vienna shows how closely interlinked they were through the personalities who were the key figures of the new art. I will focus on three of them, but their examples are representative for the development of modern art in Vienna. Gustav Klimt, and finally we have an opportunity to have a very nice portrait photograph of him Shown here, he was trained at the Vienna School of Arts and Crafts, he was head of the Vienna Secession, and the undisputed Herald of Modern Painting in Vienna, who closely cooperated with the Wiener Werkstätte. So you see, these three birthplaces, how much they are interlinked and how much networking, to use a modern word, was in practice at the time. Josef Hoffmann, the member of the Vienna Secession, as Klimt, together with Kolomosa, founder of the Wiener Werkstätte, professor at the Vienna School of Arts and Crafts. And of course Kolomosa, member of the Vienna Secession, co-founder of the Wiener Werkstätte, professor at the Vienna School of Arts and Crafts. Please note also the black and white squares in the background. We are coming back to this design detail. I was very amazed to come to Melbourne for the very first time in my life with this uh, occasion here, to find that also the garbage bins of Melbourne (laughs) are obviously a Hoffman-Colomosa design. (laughs) And uh, even more amazing to me was that the Australian police is using (laughs) the (laughs) square design (laughs) Although they use blue, probably it's too dark in the sense uh, which Hoffman would have used. (laughs) To sum up, a small group of very innovative artists left their mark on all three birthplaces of modernism in Vienna, as teachers at the School of Arts and Crafts, or as their pupils, as members of the Artists Union Secession with their temple for exhibiting modern art from all over Europe and as artists working together for projects of the Wiener Werkstätte. Viennese modernism would, of course, never have come into being without its clientele and without its patrons. This is the moment to focus very briefly on Hermine and Moritz Gallia. We have just heard this wonderful uh, in-depth introduction to the family by Tim. And as you you see, I have enlarged a detail from a family group photograph, which is also displayed in the exhibition. The couple belonged to the Jewish-assimilated bourgeoisie of Vienna, who played an important role in establishing cultural modernism at the beginning of the century. Like many who had left behind old traditions and integrated into modern society, they were open to new forms and values of art and design. And it's very intriguing indeed to hear uh, from Tim how the moving from the second district, which is traditionally the Jewish district in Vienna, to the fourth. In fact, they were living in Wohllebengasse, just behind the St. Charles Church, which you could have uh, which you have seen before in. Wolfgang uh, Kose's photographs showing his museum, uh, the Wien Museum, so it was very close to St. Charles Church, and moving to this Catholic district. The Gallias were living in this fashionable fourth district, close to the Schwarzenbergplatz on the second floor of a newly erected building. And this photograph uh, has been taken specifically to present it to you in this uh, paper, and it shows you a few weeks ago uh, uh, the building, uh, what it looked like. On the second floor, it was conceived as a kind of Gesamtkunstwerk, a total work of art, for which the very artists whom we have just seen in the photographs contributed their art. Without this lady and her husband, which we have just seen, we would certainly not be here at this moment as our exhibition displays a wealth of objects formerly in the possession of the Gallia family. Today, either in the collection of the National Gallery of Victoria or in museums and private collections all over the world. You have seen this picture now already before. And, of course, one of the centerpieces of the exhibition and one of the most refined female portraits ever produced by Gustav Klimt is the one showing Hermine Gallia, which was, of course, prominently displayed in the Gallia apartment. And it was also on show in the 1903, uh, ex- 1903 exhibition uh, Klimt exhibition, of which Agnes had been talking in the morning. In the last section of this presentation, let me briefly introduce you to two examples from our collection in this exhibition. And I was very pleased and excited that Professor Johnston before mentioned specifically uh, the object you see at the right, the skirt I'm going to focus on in a moment. And it is one of the special features, of the many special features, of this exhibition. It is only since very recent time that uh, it is not anymore in the possession of the family, and we could, through a great deal of luck, acquire this object for our collection at the university. And so you have the privilege to be among the very, very first to see it at all. It has been displayed in Vienna and in Munich, but it has not been included in the big blockbuster exhibitions on Viennese uh, modernism which have been realized before. The Royal and Imperial School of Arts and Crafts is, as I said, the place where also Oskar Kokoschka was a student, and as it went, uh, he fell in love with a fellow student, Lilith Lang. And this Lilith Lang uh, was uh, the daughter of a very prominent feminist uh, in uh, Vienna at the turn of the century. And the family is a very fascinating example of uh, Viennese uh, families playing various roles as uh, clients of the Wiener Werkstätte. in the political and intellectual life of the the time. The skirt for Lidit Lang is characterized by the same tendency to clear geometric structures which are characteristic of the early designs by Kolomosa and Josef Hoffmann. But as you see, it is uh, becoming more, um, there is an expressive element in it. It is not as geometric, it is not as clearly structured as uh, other examples of the time. Kokoschka had fallen in love with Lilith Lang, and I would like also to show two photographs of the two young students, Lilith Lang, here in a very romantic attitude with the long dark hair, falling over her shoulders and looking at us from the side in a kind of daydreaming gaze. While the other photo, of course, shows young Oscar, the enfant terrible of the arts and crafts school, who was already provoking scandals as an artist and as a playwright. He had shaved his head and was playing with the attitude of delinquent. Everybody in the prison had to get their hair shaved, so that was what his attitude was about. The skirt is a unique example of fashion in Viennese modernism, (coughs) although the fascination with stark contrasts can also be found in examples like these, here shown in two photographs picturing Emilia Flöge. You have become quite well acquainted with Emilia, of course, and uh, as she was the lifelong companion of Gustav Klimt, a very emancipated woman heading a most successful fashion shop and salon in Vienna, and also a fashion designer herself. Most probably, she designed not only the dresses she's wearing here, but maybe also the designs for its textiles. Typical of the first years of the Wiener Werkstätte, we see the combination of geometric patterns, large white dots on a dark background, or black and white stripes, combined with stripes of black and white squares. We have been talking about these squares and the motif taken from Kolomosa and uh, Hoffmann. And to go back for a moment, you see, in the work of the next generation of Kokoschka, this is being dissolved. It is treated more freely. And uh, Christian has been talking about Dagobert Peche and his uh, doing away with this very, very clear uh, design of the early phase of modernism in Vienna uh, the Expressionists, of course, uh, have their share in doing away with the modernism of early uh, design of the Wiener Werkstätte. The other example from the holdings of my institution is a very small design by Josef Tivecchi, and it is here enlarged in a way which uh, gives it a quite monumental impression. Uh, but in fact, when you see it in the exhibition, it is really a very tiny, Uh, design. It is a poster design for the Cabaret Fledermaus. Die also received his training at the School of Arts and Crafts in Vienna and was often employed by the Wiener Werkstätte for their commissions. Here Die follows a witty idea. He combines the body of a bat with the head of a young lady who is looking at us. The poster was advertising the Cabaret Fledermaus which is the German word for bat. Die Wecke uses the name of the cabaret for a pun as he transforms the animal into a being which is half a Viennese lady of the night and half an animal. It hangs, or rather she hangs, on a branch of a large tree in full blossom with three yellow fruits, a masterful example of Viennese modernism from the realm of graphic design. What was this poster advertising? The cabaret Fledermaus was a mix of bar and nightclub which functioned as a meeting place for members of the avant-garde, of course, all members of these three birthplaces I have mentioned before. On the theater stage of Vienna's Cabaret Fledermaus, the new forms of liberated expressive dance were presented as well as plays of young authors and experimental productions from the performing arts. It was also here that Lilith Lang, Kokoschka's beloved fellow student, was probably wearing the skirt he had designed as she appeared in one of the stage productions. In other words, the cabaret was one of Vienna's Gesamtkunstwerke, a total work of art, although small in size, not only in the sense of interior design, but also as a place for all kinds of corporations of artists. The elements of its interior design had been conceived by several artists of the Wiener Werkstätte, some of whom were, of course, also given commissions by the Gallia family. Sadly, nothing exists anymore from the architecture of the Cabaret Fledermaus, which had been designed by Josef Hoffmann. As you can see, again, the pattern of black and white squares was used here too by Hoffmann for the design of the floor. It came through this very often applied pattern that Hoffmann got his nickname at the time, as he was called the Quadratel Hoffmann, or the Hoffmann of the little squares. Another professor at the School of Arts and Crafts in Vienna had designed the wall ceramics. You've seen it before in this uh, black and white photograph, but it's nicer to have the (coughs) colorful impression here. And this is my very last uh, image. I'm showing to you Bertolt Loeffler. He was the designer of these ceramics, who, by the way, was one of the teachers of young Oskar Kokoschka. The two postcards give an impression of this interior around the bar area in the cabaret Fledermaus. Again, the cabaret shows itself as a joint venture of these three birthplaces of modernism. Take it as a bridge to the exhibition in Melbourne and enjoy. Thank you. Thank you.